If you join me on Bible study tonight, please open up your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 21. As we begin tonight in verse 4. Just to remind us where we are in chapter 17 of Jeremiah, God told the children of Israel that were remaining in Jerusalem and Judah that if they would simply keep Shabbat, just keep the Sabbath, that God would not destroy the city, he would not destroy the temple, they'd always have a descendant of David sitting on the throne, and they said, oh, you're wasting your breath. We'll do what we want to do, and you'll just have to like it. And every time I say that, people go, isn't that like today? We're, yeah, unfortunately, pretty much people want to do what they want to do and figure that God can just lump it. Unfortunately, as we come to Jeremiah chapter 21, we're going to find that it's not God who takes the lumps when judgment begins to flow. So as we are in verse 4, Jeremiah is saying to Zedekiah, who is Zedekiah? He's the king. Jeremiah is a priest that God has called to be a prophet. And he's going up in the face of the king to announce judgment upon the king. Do you think that's going to go over well? Like a lead yeah, like a lead balloon. So verse 3 said, Then Jeremiah said to them, Thus you shall say to Zedekiah. And last week I ended with, We'll have to wait till next week to see what. But it's next week, so here we are. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. The Lord, that's the tetragrammaton, those four Hebrew letters, yod heh vav heh, that means I will be whom I will be. And he is the God of Israel. So Lord does not modify God. Lord is a name. God of Israel is a description. Behold. This is to Zedekiah. Behold. What does that mean? You better listen. Pay attention. God's talking to you, son. I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands. Uh-oh. What do the people pray for when war is coming? Lord, protect us. Make our weapons effective against our enemies. And God says, uh-uh. When Babylon comes, I'm going to turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands. Meaning, I will not defend you. I will not support you. I will not give you blessings as you go out against your enemies. This should not surprise Israel. Go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 28. What did God promise in Deuteronomy 28 when it comes to warfare if the people would be faithful to him? That one would send 10,000 to flight. That one would send 10,000 to flight. The would have no chance whatsoever. Look at Deuteronomy 28, starting in verse 7. Well, actually, verse 6 is about warfare too, so we'll just start in verse 6. It says, Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. Talking about going out to war and coming back from the battlefield. Verse 7, The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Ah, but now turn forward in the book of Deuteronomy 28 to what if we don't follow the Lord? What if we turn away from God and turn to pagan idols? What's going to happen then? Captivity. Captivity. 
Verse 36, the Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you will serve other gods wooden stone. You shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations where the Lord will drive you. In other words, when it's time for war, is God on their side? No. God will not deliver them. And I want to look at a verse in... Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. We were talking around the Shabbat table about the relationship between Shabbat and the other festivals. God has made it very clear that he is bringing the king of Babylon against them. So it should be no surprise to Zedekiah that God will not support Zedekiah against the king that God brought against Israel in judgment. Unless he repents. Unless he repents. And there's more of that coming. God's going to speak directly to Zedekiah more than once tonight. Exodus 34 verse 24. Well, actually... Let's start in verse 21 for context. Because I want you to see the relationship between Shabbat and the other feasts and festivals. Like we were talking about around the Shabbat table earlier. So in Exodus 34 verse 21 it reads, Six days you shall work, but shall is wrong. It should be may work. But on the seventh day, not a seventh day, but the seventh day, which begins Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown. If someone asks you, how do you know Sunday's not the Sabbath? What do you say? In all the Gospels it says Messiah arose on the day after the Sabbath. So if he arose on Sunday, the day after the Sabbath, is the Sabbath the day after itself? The answer is no. So it's pretty clear. So, but on the seventh day you shall rest, you shall Shabbat, you shall cease from your work. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. And you shall observe the Feast of Weeks. What's the Feast of Weeks? That's Shavuot. Of the first fruits of the wheat harvest. What happened at Shavuot? That's when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, isn't it? Yeah. And the Feast of Ingathering. What's the Feast of Ingathering? That's Tabernacles, which teaches the establishment of the Messianic Kingdom at the year's end. Verse 23 goes on. Three times in the year, all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord the God of Israel. The first Lord is just Adonai. The second Lord is the Tetragrammaton. Then we come to the God of Israel. The Lord wants to really make sure we understand who he is. So the first time is Passover and unleavened bread. The second time is the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot in the summer. And then in the fall you got the Feast of Tabernacles which includes the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Three times in a year all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel. Four, what does four mean? Because I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. If Israel, in the days of Jeremiah, had been keeping the pilgrim festivals, would God have allowed Babylon to come? The answer is no. So should they have known ahead of time that they should have been keeping God's feasts and festivals 
as well as his Sabbath? The answer is absolutely. So back to Jeremiah. I know I didn't finish the verse. Jeremiah 21, verse 4. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands, with which you fight against the king of Babylon and the Chaldeans, Chaldeans or Babylonians, who besiege you outside the walls, and I will assemble them in the midst of this city. So your weapons will be ineffective, and those that are camped outside are coming inside. Uh-oh. Let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 25 and see if God meant what he said. How many of you realize that when God speaks, he means what he says? 2 Kings chapter 25. We will do the shorter version. Are we ready? Let's start in verse 1. You're saying, that's the shorter version? Well, yeah, actually. Verse 1 says, Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it, and they built a siege wall against it all around. What that means is no one comes in the city or outside the city. The food's outside, the water's outside. So they have the stores they have inside the city, and that's it. Verse 2, so the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. It began in which year? The ninth year. They're besieged until the 11th year. That's a long time. How many of you could not go to the grocery store for a year and a half and be just fine? You're looking at me like, uh-uh, that's right. Verse 3, by the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city wall was broken through, which means what? The Babylonians are coming into the city, just as God said. And all the men of war fled at night by way of the gate between two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city, and the king went by the way of the plain. And we're going to save the rest of that until we get to a further prophecy directed to Zedekiah himself. So back to Jeremiah 21, verse 5. In verse 5, I want to show you something that to me is very significant. And we'll do it as we read. Verse 5, I myself will fight against you. Who's I myself? That's the Lord. The Lord says, I'm going to fight against you. It's not just Babylon. I'm on their side, not yours. With an outstretched hand and with a strong arm. Who is the outstretched hand of the Lord? That's our Messiah, Yeshua. The Lord of hosts. Fighting against Israel. Why? What did they do? They turned away from God. They forgot God. They forsook God. And with a strong arm, even in anger, in fury, in great wrath. I want you to take particular note of those words. In anger, in fury, in great wrath. And then I want you to turn back to Deuteronomy 29. 
Deuteronomy 29, verse 28. And I want you to see how God almost got it right. And then I'm going to show you that God got it exactly right. So in Jeremiah 21, 5, our Bible says, And even in anger and fury and great wrath. Deuteronomy 29, verse 28 says, And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger, in wrath, and in great indignation. See, he almost got it right. Until you realize that in Hebrew, the words are exactly the same. So God said in Deuteronomy 29, it will be in anger, in fury, and great wrath. It's only the translators of the Bible that make you think, well, he almost got it. But no, if you look at Hebrew, the words are absolutely identical in all three cases. I won't speculate why the translators translated it differently. My best guess, honestly, is that it was different translators translating Jeremiah than translated Deuteronomy. That's my hope, anyway. But God didn't get it almost right. God's repeating it word for word. Who wrote Deuteronomy 29? Moses did. How long before Jeremiah did Moses write that? Well, there were 400 years of the judges, and then there were kings starting with Saul all the way down to... So it's been seven or 800 years, right? And yet God remembers word for word what he said would happen. And that's what he's going to bring upon them. So again, Jeremiah 21 verse 5 says, I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand with a strong arm. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 39. Isaiah chapter 39. Verses 6 to 7. You were looking at the Hebrew? Beginning of verse 5 in Jeremiah 21. Yeah. You're absolutely right. In Jeremiah 21 5, he's emphasizing the fact that God is bringing this judgment. He is going to fight against Israel. He's going to do it himself. Yes. You're absolutely right. You could hear the dramatic. Yeah, as if you may not believe it, but I mean what I say. It makes you think back to the Exodus in Exodus chapter 12. Who hovered over the houses and put the blood upon the doorposts and lintel? The Lord himself hovered over those houses, personally involved. He says, well, I'm personally involved here too, but it's not in your favor. Yep. So Isaiah chapter 39, verses 6 and 7. We'll start in verse 5 for context. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. When you hear Lord of hosts, you think end times prophecy, but you also think judgment's coming, right? Somebody's about to get it. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. 
Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. What's going to be left? Nothing. Nothing. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you. Who is he talking to? Hezekiah. Hezekiah was king of Judah. The king in the book of Jeremiah is a direct descendant. What happens to the sons of that king ruling in Jeremiah 21? Killed in front of him, then his eyes are put out. Oh, oh, oh. Horrible. Verse 7, they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. That's all the way back in the days of Isaiah. That was 150 plus years ago, right? A long time ago. That God told Hezekiah, that's not you, it's your descendants. Remember the word son in biblical Hebrew means any male descendant. Not necessarily the subsequent generation. Okay, let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 21. Verse 5, even in anger and fury and great wrath, and in verse 6, I will strike the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast. They shall die of a great pestilence. Who will strike? Lord says, I will do it. He may do it through the Babylonians. Oftentimes God acts through people. But God is going to strike the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast, and they shall die of a great pestilence. What's pestilence? Disease, right? Disease. What happens when you have a bunch of dead bodies lying around and you can't bury them? Then disease. Disease, you bet. Verse 7, and afterward, says the Lord, I will deliver Zedekiah, king of Judah, his servants and the people, and such as are left in this city from the pestilence and the sword and the famine, meaning all those who survived up to that point, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into the hand of their enemies. That's Hebrew parallelism. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, are the enemies. And into the hand of those who seek their life. What do they seek their life for? To make it better? No, to kill them deader than dead. And shall strike them with the edge of the sword. He shall not spare them or have pity or mercy. See, twice before, God has had Nebuchadnezzar come into Jerusalem in the land of Judah and take captives. And they've treated the captives fairly well in some cases. Minus a few, oh, I don't know, lion dens and superheated furnaces. But comparatively better. He said, go into Babylon and you shall live. These people that are left have twice told the Lord, we will not obey. We will not go. You cannot make us. And God said, will you at least keep my Sabbath? They said, no, we will not. You're asking too much. What do you think would happen if you went into most churches around here and said, hey, would you guys like to think about meeting on Shabbat instead of Sunday? (laughs) Yeah, same thing. No, you're asking too much. But it says, he shall not spare them or have pity or mercy. Keep a finger here. Go back to Exodus chapter 20. 
How many times did Messiah say, you've heard it said? We hear lots of things today. We hear that God has mercy on everybody. That's not what the scripture says. Go back to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse 6. But showing mercy to thousands of generations, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Is there a difference in biblical Hebrew between and and or? Oh, you bet. Different words. And this is translated correctly. Keep a finger in Jeremiah and go to Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. In verse 6, it says, you're a holy people. Verse 9, it says, therefore, because you're a holy people, know that the Lord your God, he is the God. It literally says that in Hebrew, the God, meaning the one and only. The faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him, that's a participle, and keep his commandments. That's also a participle. What does participle mean? Continuous, ongoing action. But Wayne, that's Old Testament. Well, okay, let's go to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14. Here is the patience of the saints. Saints, yes, that Greek word is hagios, H-A-G-I-O-S, hagios. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. They're the ones God calls saints. They're the ones upon which he has mercy. And no, it doesn't say you keep the commandments of Jesus who obliterated his father's commandments. No, it says you keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. Hmm. Okay, back to Jeremiah 21. Did Jeremiah want to be a prophet? He most certainly did not. No one volunteers for that job in biblical times. Today you have people coming out of the woodwork saying, hey, I'm a prophet. I'm a prophet. I can tell you who will be president 40 days from now. Yeah, they keep getting it wrong, but that doesn't deter them from prophesying some more. If we look back at Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah is very clear he didn't want this job. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4. What's his excuse to the Lord? I can't do it because... I'm too young. They won't listen to me. God's response is essentially, they wouldn't listen to you if you were older anyway. So, yeah, get out there. 
Jeremiah 1, starting in verse 4. He said, He said, shut up and go. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, what is that word saying? It's a quote. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Boy, if that's not a statement against abortion, I don't know what is. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. I want you to note that. Jeremiah is not just going to be a prophet to Israel. Not just to Judah. But he's going to prophesy to all the nations of the known world. They're all going to go into captivity and all for the same reason. For breaking the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. Verse 6, and I said, O Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I'm a youth. I'm too young. They won't listen. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm a youth. Meaning, don't say that anymore. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. In other words, I don't care if you want to go or not, you're going. Verse 8, do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. Does that remind you of Isaiah chapter 6, where the angel took tongs and took fire off the altar and touched it to his lips? Yeah. The Lord said to me, behold, I put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms, not just Israel, not just Judah, but the entire world, to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. All right, back to Jeremiah, chapter 21, verse 8. Now you shall say to this people, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Do those words sound familiar? That's Deuteronomy chapter 30. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'm sure it goes on into chapter 31, but it starts in 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning in verse 11. That's a good place to start. I was going to say 15, but no, let's back up to 11. But you guys already anticipated that. Verse 11, for this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. When people say God's commandments are too hard, God says they're not. They're not too mysterious. What's a better word, Daniel? Are not beyond your power. When I put up on Facebook, the Lord says, stop sinning. I get a lot of pushback, people saying, it's not possible to stop sinning. We sin every moment of every day. We, we sin constantly. There's nothing we can do about it. What did God tell everyone? Through Messiah, when Messiah would forgive their sins. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Now where are you at in Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. 11. Okay, I was there. Yep, yeah, my finger's there, but my mouth is elsewhere. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I got it. She says, get back on track. So down to verse 15. See, I've said before you today, life and good, death and evil. 
Why do I keep saying hold out two hands? Because God keeps saying hold out two hands. On one is life and good. The other is death and... It says evil, but it's just bad. Good life, bad death. How do you agree? Life is better than death. Amen. Yeah, I agree. In that, in that, what does in that mean? Here's how. Here's what I mean by life and good versus death and evil. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God. What is the very first word? Love the Lord your God. How do you do that? Next clause, to walk in his ways. In Deuteronomy 8 verse 11, God said, If you don't keep my commandments, statutes, and judgments, it's because you have forgotten me. In Jeremiah 16, he said what? He said, you've forsaken me. So if you love me, keep my commandments. But Wayne, that's Old Testament. Well, isn't that what John 14, 15 says? If you love me, come and keep my commandments. First John chapter 5 says, What is the love of God that we keep his commandments? And his commandments are not burdensome. Your translation says grievous. It means it's not too hard. It's not beyond you. If we do not keep God's commandments, is it God's fault? Or is it our fault? Yeshua said, my yoke is easy. That's what he means in 1 John chapter 5. By his commandments are not burdensome. Yeah, he's not saying life will be a bed of roses, but if you want to follow me, my commandments are doable. And that's what he's saying in Deuteronomy 30. It's not beyond your power. It's not beyond your ability. It may be beyond what you want to do. There's the, there's the key word. Yeah, there's the key word. Did Messiah suffer death, burial, and resurrection to reunite us to Satan? No, sir. Or to bring us back to God? So let's keep reading. I stopped in the middle of 16 to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments. That, that means here's the benefit of doing it. Here's why obedience leads to life. That you may live and multiply. Verse 17, but if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. That word serve in Hebrew is avad. It means to do what they tell you to do. Who do you obey? I got a question. The one you serve. That's Romans chapter 6 verse 16. What's your question, Pat? Idols can't talk. Idols cannot talk, but they have um, priests who speak on their behalf. Could I adjust the camera a little forward? When you lean forward, your head goes out. How about if I stop leaning forward? Maybe that'll solve it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Turn to Romans 6 for a minute. Because this is not just an Old Testament concept. Romans chapter 6. If they would have translated that word avad differently. The word avad, that Hebrew verb is where you get the word evad, which means slave or servant. The one who obeys the master. They're doing the avad. In Romans chapter 6, 
Verse 16 says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, meaning the one whose commandments you follow, you're that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. See if adjusting it that way helps. If not, send me another comment. So if God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and the Pope said, no, 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 don't keep Sabbath, do Sunday instead, and you keep Sunday instead of the Sabbath, you're not obeying God, you're obeying a man. Does God say, well, that's okay, you obeyed somebody? The answer to that is no. The one that you obey, he says, that's the one whom you serve, the one whose servant you are. He says, sin leads to what? Death. And he's talking to the church at Rome. The believers, the ecclesia, the called out assembly, the kahal. Put it whatever language you want. It means if you truly have faith in God, who will you obey? You'll obey God. And if your friends and family say, oh, you're being a Judaizer. My first reaction is, where's that word in the Bible? Y'all go, I don't know, but it's in there. No, it's not. It's not. It comes from the Catholic Church in the 4th century in the Council of Laodicea in Canon 29, which says, if you keep the Sabbath, you're a Judaizer. Yes, sir. Back in Deuteronomy 30. Back in Deuteronomy 30. I am now. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 30. I wasn't done, no. Go ahead. In verse 17. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, that word here means to obey. People who do not keep the commandments of God, their heart has turned away. Give me a chapter. Right here. <laughs> In the New Testament, John 14. So keep a finger here. Go up to John 14. Daniel's exactly right. If you're not keeping the commandments of God, God himself says it's because you do not love me. It's your heart. Right. Yep. But God Himself says, if that's your, if that's your, your viewpoint, your heart has turned. God Himself says, if that is your viewpoint, that the commandments of God are no longer important, then it's your heart that is turned away. Go to John 14. Messiah tells us that Himself. In chapter 14, beginning in verse 21. He who has my commandments and, what's that next word? Keeps. Keeps them. It is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. To verse 23, to the red words, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, 
we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. How does he know that you don't love him? You don't keep his commandments. Yep, and that's where Matthew 15 and Mark 7 come in where the Lord says, you speak with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And in vain do you worship me, keeping as, teaching as doctrine and commandments of men. I didn't finish verse 24. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Every time we go in this avenue, my yep. heart I know, mine does because too. the days that I thought I was doing all that I knew to do and that was required of me, and I was so far off and left field until the Lord hit me upside the head. Yep, many of us need to be hitting the side of the head again. But back to Deuteronomy 30. But, you know, it goes back to what you always say, you can't do what you don't know. You can't do what you don't know. So why do we study the Word of God here chapter by chapter, verse by verse? Because we want to know what it says. Yeah. It's not going to just give it all to you at one time. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a journey. Yeah. So back to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. There's a reason that God sets as the witnesses heaven and earth. Because how long will heaven and earth be here? Forever. Forever. Long time. If he'd have called two people to be witnesses, they'd die in a few years. But in verse 19 it says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. It doesn't just say life and death anymore. It says blessing and cursing. Does the blessing come from obedience or disobedience? From obedience. The cursing comes from disobedience. And in verse 20 it says that... Here's the reason it's so important that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, Shema Bakolo, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. That you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you. Chapter 31, Moses said, I can't go with you. I'm going to die. So verse 9 says, yeah, but I wrote it in the book. Amen. That you can never forget it. I wrote it in the book. And Moses said, it's your fault I can't come, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go up to, Matthew, no, let's go to Revelation 22, all the way to the end of the New Testament. The disciples didn't write anything after this. What's that, Daniel? Yeah, yeah, he, he sure was. He sure was picturing our faces on that rock. Revelation 22, the very last chapter, the very last book. Starting in verse 12, so we get the red letter words. 
Behold, I'm coming quickly. Doesn't mean soon. It means when the second coming starts, it's over quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his what? Work. That comes from the word avad in the Hebrew. Remember, we were just looking at that. Did you obey me or didn't you? Verse 14 says, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. What if we don't want to keep the commandments? That's verse 15. But outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, whoever loves and practices lie. Meaning, those who didn't want to keep the commandments, they don't get to come into the city. They don't get to be part of what we call the eternal kingdom. Their part is in the lake of fire. I won't say it. Some of you do it one of these days. But just picture. Don't do it. Just picture. putting your hand in those candle fires over there. And hold it until you decide you don't like doing that anymore. Won't take long, would it? Wouldn't take long at all. Did you happen to hear the greatest news that I think I've heard in a long time? Don't know what you heard. What did you hear? The American people, white Christians are now the enemy of the state and the country. Yep, yep. I've heard that. The, the, the of this yep. Jeremiah 21. And now what the Lord said was going to happen? Yes, sir. Yipper. Verse 8. Now you shall say to this people, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. What is the way of life, do you suppose? Are they out there looking for maps? No, he's telling, if you will obey me, serve me, then you'll live. So even though God has said, Babylon is coming, I will not protect you. Everyone here will die. So what's your only hope? To believe the word of the Lord and get out of Jerusalem, get out of Judah. Get running on the way to Babylon. So God is still giving them an opportunity to repent. And they're still saying what? You're wasting your breath. You're asking too much of us. Verse 9. He who remains in this city shall die by the sword. We know what that means from warfare. By famine, that's from hunger, starvation. And by pestilence, that's disease. But he who goes out and defects to the Chaldeans, that is those who do what God told them to do, who besiege you, he shall live. And his life shall be a surprise to him. So God still wants to give them an opportunity to repent. He wants to deliver them. And they refuse to allow it. So verse 10 says, For I have set my face against this city. What's this city? Jerusalem. For adversity and not for good, says the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall burn it with fire. What's fire a picture of? Judgment. In those words, you see the name that was back in verse 3. 
earlier of chapter 20. The Lord has not called your name Pashur, but Megor Misaviv, which meant what? Trouble on every side. Yep. Oh, my, my, my. Is God really really telling them that the remnant shall die? In this case, the remnant are those that stayed behind and said, God can't make me do this. So, yes. You know, that, that word adversity is really evil. Ra'ah. Yes. That word is really ra'ah. I did make a note of that. So, I mean, that, you know how we talk about how some translations of words are very light. That's a, that's a much stronger word. Because, I mean, what's about to happen is not good. Yeah. Hmm. What is that word, ketzef? Indignation or wrath. Let's look at a couple places where that word is used. That is the word that's used in verse 5. Jeremiah 21, 5, like it was used in Deuteronomy 29, 28. And because God uses that particular word, not za'am, which talks about the tribulation period in the day of the Lord, but the word ketsef, Q-E-T-S-E-F. Let's go back and see what God has to say about that particular word. Let's go back to Numbers chapter 16, verse 46. Numbers 16, verse 46. What's happening in Numbers chapter 16 is God has allowed a plague to go out amongst the people. Verse 46, it says, So Moses said to Aaron, Take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. That word wrath is that same word that God says is going to come upon the city of Jerusalem. What kind of plague was it? That's what's being called the pestilence in Jeremiah 21. It's talking about a disease that's going out and slaying people quickly. It's just spreading through like a fire in stubble. Let's look at Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29. In verse 28, we mention the fact that this is the very same word, very same word, ketsef, for wrath, in verse 28. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger, in wrath, and in great indignation, and cast them into another land. 
So this is the kind of wrath that causes Israel to be uprooted from the land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to be sent into captivity. Let's also turn back to Exodus chapter 9. When God talks about pestilence, it doesn't necessarily mean something like a common cold, right? We're talking about things where people's lives are at stake. Exodus chapter 9, verse 15. Which says, Now if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. That's the kind of pestilence that God is talking about in Jeremiah. Okay, let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 21. He was pretty much telling Pharaoh, he said, you think it's bad, I'm holding back. Yeah, he was telling Pharaoh, if you think this is bad, I'm holding back. It could be so much worse. Yep. Yeah. So again, we're in verse 9. He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. It means by one of the three, not all three. But but he who goes out and defects to the Chaldeans who besiege you, he shall live, and his life shall be a prize to him. So this is how you choose. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. And see if it's different in the New Testament. If you want to be delivered from God's wrath, is it still the same thing? Is obedience what turns away wrath? First, Matthew chapter 7, verse 23 illustrates in the New Testament how do you choose life or death? Is it different from Deuteronomy 30? Is that just Old Testament stuff that no longer applies? That's just historical. The answer is no. So, you know, we could start up in verse 12 or 13, but we're going to just do verse 23. Then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What is lawlessness? It is refusing to keep God's commandments, is it not? So how did these people, this is the Lord on Judgment Day, how did they choose life or death? They, they, didn't keep commandments. they chose not to keep the commandments, therefore they chose death. So that's the same as what we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 30, crossing the Old Testament, New Testament boundary didn't change anything. That word lawlessness is also translated in the Old Testament as iniquity, but it means the same thing. And you know, the, the irony, and I know we say this a lot about Matthew 7, the irony of it all is these people thought they were saved. They didn't think they were living a life of lawlessness or iniquity. That's exactly right. Daniel's point is is just inescapable. 
these people that are being cast into the lake of fire thought they were saved. They thought they were doing right because they listened to the false teachers rather than the word of God. It's a shame that the New Testament doesn't warn us about the false teachers, right? Just go back a couple verses. That's what Matthew 7 is about, is don't let the false teachers lead you to death. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13. Isn't this completely parallel to Jeremiah? It's exactly parallel to Jeremiah. The people are listening to the false prophets in Jeremiah. They won't listen to the true prophet. They won't listen to the word of God. But they think they're obeying God because the... they're, they're listening to the false prophets. And in the New Testament, do we not have scripture that equates the false teachers in the New Testament era to the false prophets of the Old Testament era? They're doing the same thing. They're teaching what? Not God's commandments, but the commandments of men. And in Matthew 15 and Mark 7, what does God say that's worth? It's vain. It's empty. What is the Hebrew word for vain? Shav. Not shuv, which is return, repent. But shav, it's vain, it's empty, it's worthless. By the way, somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago where they spell the same, and I said yes, meaning in English we spell them the same. In Hebrew, one's a bait, one's a vav. And it didn't occur to me until afterwards that she might have been talking about the Hebrew, not the English. Okay, Matthew chapter 13, verse 41. And here I really want to back up for context because it's in a parable. The parable of the wheat and the tares. So verse 37. Matthew 13, 37. Messiah is going to explain the parable. The answer said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. Who's the son of man? That's Messiah himself, Yeshua. The field is the world. And the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked ones. Meaning the false teachers. They look like the wheat. In Matthew 7, Messiah calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. They look like the sheep, but they're not. They look like the wheat, but they're not. Who's the wicked one? They're sons of the wicked one. Talking about sons of Satan. Verse 39. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. What comes at the end of the age? Judgment day. And the reapers are the angels. Referring to Revelation chapter 14. Therefore as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire. So will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out the angels and he will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. At the end of Matthew chapter 24, there's writings about two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. And people go, oh, that's the rapture. 
No, no, no. This tells us which gets taken first at the end of the age. The tares. And then the righteous get gathered into the barn. That's not talking about the rapture. It's talking about the second coming. The sheep and the goat judgment. What happens to the goats? They're cast into the fire. The sheep, they're brought into the kingdom. So look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. If someone calls you a heretic, wear it as a badge of honor. Blaspheme is banned. Heresy means you don't agree with the traditional church doctrine. I don't agree with the traditional church doctrine. Thus, I am a heretic. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that he, referring to the Lord, is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So compare Matthew 7.23, those who practice lawlessness, with 1 John 2.29, those who practice righteousness. In which group do you want to be? You want to be in the group of Life, which is the group of righteousness, not death, which is the group of lawlessness. If we didn't know anything more about the scripture than that, that those who practice lawlessness are going into the lake of fire, those who practice righteousness are going into eternal life, that would be enough for me to say, I want to be in the righteous group. The opposite of righteousness is lawlessness. Hold out your two hands. God makes it so clear. 1 John chapter 3. You know verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. That's what it is. That's its definition. Sin is failing to keep God's commandments. 1 John chapter 3 verse 7 says little children. Why would John say that? Isn't that demeaning? No. John's almost 100 years old. Everybody's a little child in his eyes. Little children, let no one deceive you. He wouldn't say let no one deceive you except people are trying to deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. What does that word practice mean? It means they're doing it. I've heard recently traditional church pastors say, Righteousness is not something that you do. Righteousness is given to you by the Lord. It's just a status that falls upon you. But it says he who practices righteousness means he who actually does it, right? Chooses to do it. Is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. Hey, this is kind of clear to me. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of, not God, the works of the devil. People read Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17, as if Messiah came and defeated God. And that's not what it's trying to teach us. But that's exactly what the commentaries are trying to get across to us. 1 John 
Same chapter. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. This, God says, is how you can tell one from the other. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. If he does not practice righteousness, what is he practicing? Lawlessness. So 1 John is primarily about how do we know a righteous one from a lawless one. If God wants us to follow the righteous teachers, not the false teachers, why does he keep saying, look at their works, look at their actions, look at what they do. If they're not following God's commandments, what are they going to teach you? Not to follow his commandments. Matthew chapter 5 verse 20. Yep, you know what it says. Back to Jeremiah 21 though. Because I don't want to get on a sub box. This week, news was talking about lawlessness. Yeah. And so, you know, I couldn't be quiet. So I just asked the people that are around me. I said, you know, lawlessness is in the Bible, don't you? They said, yeah. I said, you know what it means? Well, they're breaking the law. I said, well, whose law in the Bible? Because they say God has no laws. We right. can do whatever we want to. And I left it right there with the door wide open. They could take it wherever they wanted to. <laughs> Very good. Jeremiah 21, are we up to verse 10? What was that, a Susie? A question, pretty please. Yes, please. Can you hear me okay? I can. It, it, it seems, okay, it seems in all these scriptures that we're going over that, there again, that the Lord believes that those who have faith can keep his commandments. Right. You know, and as Yeshua tells us, they're not too hard. They're not burdensome. And yet, no different than with Moses, he had already told the crew, you know, you're not going to keep them. You're going to be in idolatry. You're going to fail at keeping them. And basically, they were said to have had no faith because of unbelief. It, it makes me think, too, because I know each one of us, that is our desire to to walk upright and to learn his instructions and be able to walk in them in righteousness. And then I think about Paul saying, you know, I don't do the things that I know I should do or I, I do the things I probably shouldn't do. You know, how this overall picture of how we can walk and be pleasing, I, I, yep. just like we spoke earlier, you yep. don't want to be accused of being a Judaizer, but I'd rather be a Accused to being a Judaizer is not. <laughs> yeah. Um, Paul does say that the things he wants to do, he doesn't do. And traditional pastors say that means he's walking in sin. He's going to the whorehouses. He's doing drugs. He's shooting up cocaine. That doesn't mean anything of the sort. It just means he wants to do more. He wants to be more loving. He wants to share the gospel further. He wants to do more for God. And yet... He keeps being shipwrecked and, and snake bit and beaten in the synagogues and stoned and left for dead. Um, sometimes he has a hard time loving those people. So he's trying to be more like Messiah who as they nailed the nails into him said, Father, forgive them for they know what, not what they do. Occasionally I think Paul wanted to say, would you just <laughs> pour out a little vengeance please? But Paul is not saying that he's walking in sin because that's the best he can do. That's just the way it gets taught. 
If you go to the book of Acts chapter 24, Paul tells us how he views the law. And I think we all can relate. Yeah, I think we all can relate to that. We really do want to do the best that we could do. And then sometimes when people are ugly, you just want to say, Oh, Lord, I know you're just. <laughs> yeah. In Acts chapter 24, verse but, 14. But yet we're, what's that? That's okay. I was just saying, we're, I just was going to say, we're, we're just as deserving of the consequences of sin as any if it weren't for faith. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, one of the large failings, in my opinion, of traditional church theology is they look at the New Testament as a Greek book. So they're looking at the meaning of Greek words and not thinking about the Hebrew words that underlie them. The Hebrew word for faith, imunah, comes from that word ha'amin from Genesis chapter 15 verse 6, which means God spoke and Abraham believed that God would do what God said he would do. That is faith. It's not believing there's a God in heaven. All those who died in the wilderness believe there's a God in heaven. They heard him with their own ears. They saw the mountain on fire. They were terrified. There was no doubt in their minds, but there is a God, but they would not obey God. And God says, if you're not willing to obey me, you have no faith. So Acts 24 verse 14 says, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, some translations translate that word as what? as a heresy but that's not what he's trying to say the way was just another sect of judaism like the pharisees or sadducees or essenes so i worship the god of my fathers believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets which things all things okay i don't want to get on a soapbox well i do but i'm not going to back to jeremiah 21 Verse 10, for I have set my face against this city for adversity and not for good, says the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon. He shall burn it with fire. With fire. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 1, verses 7 to 9. Fire pictures judgment. I know you've heard me say that probably a thousand times. Isaiah chapter 1, starting in verse 7. Again, Isaiah wrote long before the events of Jeremiah. And he's writing prophecy. And the prophecy says in verse 7, Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth and a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom, we would have been made like Gomorrah. So God has given the people a way out. And everyone who obeyed God enough to leave, their lives will be spared. 
Those who stay face the prophecy that Isaiah gave them long ago. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 64. Now we're talking about end times prophecy. And that's the thing I love about the book of Isaiah. It goes from the days of Isaiah all the way up to eternity future. It doesn't even stop at the Messianic kingdom. It goes all the way to the new heavens and new earth. Isaiah 64, starting in verse 10. Talking about the second coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the tribulation period, the wrath of God being poured out, etc. Verse 10 says, Your holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem a desolation. When this is fulfilled, the rapture has come and taken out the believers. And then about the middle of the tribulation period, the abomination desolation was set up, and all those who obeyed God fled to Petra. Those that have stayed behind are those that said, I will not do what God commanded. You cannot make me. It says, Our holy and beautiful temple where our fathers praised you is burned up with fire, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Is Satan going to let people to continue to worship God or is he going to bring it to a halt? He'll bring it to a halt. And what's going to happen to all those who stayed in Jerusalem and said, we're going to listen to the false prophets. We, we can't leave this city. God will defend us here. Just read Zechariah 14. That's right. Go to Ezekiel chapter 5. Ezekiel chapter 5. And notice the prophets are prophesying the very same thing in kingdom after kingdom and generation to generation. Ezekiel chapter 5 verses 1 to 3. And you, son of man, take a sharp sword, take it as a barber's razor, and pass it over your head and your beard, and then take scales to weigh and divide the hair. In other words, cut off all the hair from your head and your beard and weigh it. You shall burn with fire one-third in the midst of the city. When the days of the siege are finished, you shall take one-third and strike around it with the sword. And one-third you shall scatter in the wind. I'll draw a sword after them. Does that picture the three times that Babylon invades? You shall also take a small number of them and bind them in the edge of your garment. Jeremiah survives and takes a few survivors with him. But that's all. And they can't stay in Jerusalem. They have to flee. They flee to Egypt. But I don't want to give away the ending. <laughs> Go to Psalm 80. Psalm 80. Aren't the Psalms just songs? No, they're full of prophecy. Psalm chapter 80, verses 15 and 16. It's written by Asaf. Asaf was a seer. What does that mean? A prophet. Starting in verse 15, Psalm 80, verse 15. 
and the vineyard which your right hand is planted, and the branch that you made strong for yourself, it is burned with fire, it's cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. In the book of Isaiah, what does God say the vineyard represents? Jerusalem and Judah. And Psalm 80 says it's going to be destroyed. And Asaph wrote when? Back around the time of David. So long before the events come to pass. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 38. I know we're studying Jeremiah now, but by the time we get to chapter 38, we'll have forgotten we were ever here probably. <laughs> Verse 17. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, who's Zedekiah? He's the king in Judah. Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel. Those are three parallel terms. The Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel. If you surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then your soul shall live. This city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then the city shall be given to the hand of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire. You shall not escape from their hand. So that prophecy was given directly to the king. Jeremiah's prophesied to the people at large, they won't listen. So he addresses King Zedekiah specifically. Would you like to live? Here's how. And what did Zedekiah do? He said, well, let's put this prophet to death. Back to Jeremiah 21, verse 11. And concerning the house of the king of Judah, now this is specifically to Zedekiah and his house, not to the people at large. Concerning the house of the king of Judah, say, hear the word of the Lord. That word here is a command form. It is not a suggestion. God is giving a command specifically to the king. Verse 12 says, O house of David. Wait a minute. Why does he call Zedekiah O house of David? Because Zedekiah is a descendant of David. He sits on the throne of David. Thus says the Lord. Execute judgment. That word judgment is actually justice. In the morning. And deliver him who is plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Oh, how have the judges in Israel been judging? By who's righteous and who's not? Or by who slips more gold under the table? Yep, or execute justice in the morning and deliver him who is plundered out of the hand of the oppressor, lest my fury go forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Again, he's not speaking to the people now. He's speaking specifically to King Zedekiah and calling for Zedekiah to repent. And that if Zedekiah will repent, what can he lead the nation to do? He can lead the nation to repent. And if the nation repents, will God still destroy it? No. He said if they will repent, 
then he will spare it. And what is the king supposed to do, if you remember? To copy the scroll of the Torah himself, right? In his own hand. So that he knows exactly what it says and what's required of him. And this is a call specifically for the king to repent. Verse 13 and 14 go together. It says, Behold, I'm against you, O inhabitant of the valley and rock of the plains, says the Lord. Who say, who shall come down against us, or who shall enter our dwellings? God already said, Babylon's coming, and I'm not helping defend you. I'm on their side. You're going to be destroyed. And the people are going, who's going to come against us? Who will enter our dwellings? Oh, boy. Verse 14, here's the Lord's response. But I will punish you according to the fruit of your doings, says the Lord. The word doings means deeds, what you have done. It's from a participle from the verb to do or make. I'll kindle fire in its forest and it shall devour all things around it. Which is a poetic way of saying you're going to get cast into the lake of fire for what you've done. Even though we've been there already, let's go back to Revelation 22 and see that God's judgment has not changed. Revelation 22, verses 12 to 16. How did he say in Jeremiah he was going to judge them based upon their deeds, their works? In Revelation 22:12, the Lord says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. What he's done. I'm the Aleph and the Tav. That's the Hebrew. Greek is Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end, the first and the last, which is from Isaiah chapter 41, was a term that God used to apply to himself. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers. The word dog refers to a male homosexual. Sorcerers is the word pharmakia, from drug abuse, witchcraft, etc. Sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, whoever loves and practices a lie. That defines what the Lord means in verse 12, to give to everyone according to his work. Do you see how verses 14 and 15 define that as, did you obey God or did you disobey God? Did you walk in righteousness or did you walk in lawlessness? Or to use the same terms they put in our New Testament scriptures, did you practice righteousness or did you practice lawlessness? Righteousness and lawlessness is not something put upon us. It's how did we live our lives? What did we do? That Participle, which gets translated deeds, is ma'aseh. Ma means from, asah, what we did. That's how we're judged. What did we do? And if you have failed to keep God's commandments, he says you have forgotten me. He says you have forsaken me. Yeah, Wayne, but that's Old Testament. No, turn to the book of Hebrews. 
It's New Testament as well. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. And again and again and again we look at collections of scriptures and then which one does God tend to single out and list individually but keeping the Sabbath. Keep that in mind because that's what Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 are about. In Hebrews chapter 3, go down to verse 16. Right after it says, Today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He says, For. What does the word for mean? Because who having heard, that is who was at Mount Sinai and heard with their own ears? Who having heard rebelled? That is who having heard the commandments of God refused to keep them? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Answer is, well, all but Joshua and Caleb, right? Now with whom was he angry for 40 years? What's 40 a time of? Testing, right? Testing. Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? What is sin? 1 John 3, 4, lawlessness. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Who did not obey in verse 18 defines what he means by who sinned in verse 17. Those who sinned in verse 17 are those who did not obey in verse 18. Verse 19 begins, so. What does so mean? Is that a new topic? Or is it drawing a conclusion? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief, which is a lack of faith. Those who sinned are those who did not obey because they did not have faith. And it begins in verse 16 with they all heard. They all knew there was a God. They all knew what God said. Oh, what is that verse in Luke? What is that verse in Luke? Hmm. Luke 6.46? Yeah, probably. Luke 6.46. Let's turn back and look at it. Luke 6.46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? And there's another one in the book of Luke that says essentially... It's not the hearers of the word, it's the doers. Which verse was that? Hmm. I'm going to have to come back with that one. I have a feeling I've got it, it underlined. What's that? Is it Luke 13, 23, 24? Doesn't sound like it, which means it probably is. So let's go to Luke 13. Nope, but that's another good one. Then one said to him in Luke 13, 23, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. This is parallel to Matthew chapter 7. And then in verse 27, he will say, I tell you, I do not know you from where you're from. Depart from me, all you who workers of iniquity, that is, all you who practice lawlessness. 
So that is essentially the same teaching. Yeah. It doesn't say that, but I put the gates together. Yeah. Um, Romans, Wayne. Romans 2.13 says the ears of the law are just at the side of the Romans 2.13. Let me turn over there, and then I'll get Susie. Romans 2.13. That's what I was going to say, too. Same one. Okay. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Yep, that's saying the same thing as in Luke, so we will take that right there. Okay, back to Hebrews chapter 4. We just finished the end of chapter 3, but I'm going to go into chapter 4. I have two questions or comments out there. Let's see. Aha, uh -huh. Romans 2.13, and another said James 1.22. Stay in Hebrews. I'll turn to James and just read it. Because it's very similar. James 1.22. says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. What's that mean, deceiving yourselves? If you're hearing it, but not doing the commandments of God, then you're only deceiving yourself. So yes, all those say the same thing as the verse in Luke was going to say. Let me just take a second and come over here and say. Here. Do. Uh-oh. Didn't spell it right. Here do. Ah. It occurs 17 times in Luke. So, never mind. I'll co we've covered plenty of verses that say the same thing. But in Hebrews chapter 3, we saw they did not enter into the rest because of unbelief. But there's still a rest. Go to chapter 4. Verse 9. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. But the Greek does not say a rest. The Greek word is sabbatismos. It's a Sabbath rest. There is yet a Sabbath rest. Was Hebrews written before or after the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah? After. So was the Sabbath abolished with the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah if there's still a Sabbath rest for the people of God? The answer is no. Yeah, and it's not. So back to Jeremiah. We're up to chapter 22. Verse 1. Thus says the Lord. Now my ears are perking up. Go down to the house of the king of Judah. And there speak this word. Hmm. And say. Was the king of Judah a godly king at this point? No he was not. And say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah. You who sit on the throne of David. You and your servants and your people who enter these gates. That word here in verse 2. Do you suppose that's a suggestion? It is Shema, which is a command form. 
the same Shema that we sing here at the start of service every Friday night from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. So let's turn back to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. There's a reason he uses the very same word. Deuteronomy 6, 4. It says, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Does that seem like an odd statement? Everybody knows there's only one God. Well, why is Israel cut all those creches in the temple and put up idols and put their backs to God as they worship the rising sun, etc., etc.? But Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, not O Jacob, but O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, meaning there is only one God, which means he's the God of all peoples. The God of all peoples who said, Thou shalt not commit murder. Did he mean just some of the people ought to not murder and the others can go ahead? No. Did the God of all people who said, Thou shalt not commit adultery say, Well, that only applies to some of you, the rest go ahead? The answer is no. How many different verses do we have that say the same law, the same Torah, applies to the Jew and the non-Jew? Only in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Give me a verse in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians, go to chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 says, You know that you were Gentiles. You know this was written to believers out of the Gentile world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19, it says, Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. That's there because the Jewish people were teaching you're saved by circumcision. That's what the book of Galatians and Acts chapter 15 is all about. Are we saved by faith or by circumcision? Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Which says whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, what matters is do you keep the commandments of God? Does that remind you of somebody in the Old Testament who said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter? That was Solomon. Go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Is it strange that we see the same things in the Old Testament and the New? It's not strange at all. How many gods? One God. The God of all people. John chapter 10. How many flocks? How many shepherds? How many ways? Just one. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment. That word work is ma'aseh that we talked about a few minutes ago. Ma means from, I saw what you did. Including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Do you think breaking God's commandment is a good or an evil? It's evil. Romans 6.16 If you practice lawlessness, it's because you're not the servant of God. Hmm. It's like what we read back in Deuteronomy. If you choose not to keep 
If you choose not to keep God's commandments, your heart has turned from God. That's right. God didn't turn from you. You turned from God. So let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 3. Verse 3. And back in Jeremiah 22, verse 2. God made it a point to tell the king, you who sit on the throne of David. So, if you're sitting on David's throne, you better be acting like David. If you're sitting on David's throne, you better be acting like David. God promised a descendant of David would sit on David's throne forever if, if, they, would if they would keep God's commandments. Have the descendants, Zedekiah, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, have they been keeping God's commandments? They have not. Ooh. Verse 3. Thus says the Lord, execute judgment. Execute means to kill something, right? This word execute means do. Do. It's the word asu. Do. Judgment. It's not judgment. It's justice. Just like up in chapter 21, verse 12, it's justice. So execute justice and righteousness and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. How many times does God use the phrase justice and righteousness? Let's go look at a few. Go back to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. That's about Abraham. Yes, it is. Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. Starting in verse 17 for context, it says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice. What does it mean to keep the way of the Lord? To do righteousness and justice. Somebody find me a verse quick. You've got your computers there that says the way of the Lord is to do lawlessness. <laughs> It's not there. You didn't even go look. Yeah, I did right here. <laughs> the way of the Lord is to do righteousness yeah. and justice. Righteousness is being obedient to God. Justice is being loving to your neighbors. So it's to love God and your neighbor is yourself. It's what it means to do righteousness and keep justice. Go to 1 Kings 10. 1 Kings 10. Paul even says what fellowship does righteousness have with lawlessness? And the answer to that is what? None. That tells the relationship they have is diametrically opposed. I like to say kind of like a light switch on or off. Not a dimmer switch, but one of the regular flip old light switches. A bipolar one. 1 Kings chapter 10 verse 9. 1 Kings chapter 10 verse 9. 
Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel. Talking about who? Solomon. Because the Lord has loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do what? Justice and righteousness. Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself. Second Chronicles. We're almost done. Second Chronicles chapter 9, verse 8. Second Chronicles chapter 9, verse 8. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, sending you on his throne to be king for the Lord your God, because your God has loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore, he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. It's also talking about Solomon, but notice that Israel would remain forever so long as their way is characterized by justice and righteousness. Loving the Lord our God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Psalm 33, verse 5. Just two more verses and then we'll stop. Psalm 33, verse 5. This is a description of our Messiah, Yeshua. Psalm 33, verse 5. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. The earth will only be full of the goodness of the Lord when what is characterized by righteousness and justice. Psalm 97, verse 2, what do you think it's going to say? Probably the same thing. Why does God say something over and over and over again? Because we're like sheep when God sense to us. Yep. Psalm 97, verse 2, clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Foundation of the Lord's throne is what? Righteousness and justice. There is no verse that says it's, his throne is based upon lawlessness and meanness. So we will pick up next week, Lord willing, in Zechariah chapter 22, continuing verse 3.